Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awakairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Another busy week. Happy weekend. Yeah. It's nice to get those weeks finished and be resting and have cups of tea and or other various beverages. Tea today? What's your tea today? Uh, it's white jasmine, which is my mm. enduring favorite. Um, but I also have Dr. Pepper and water, so. Ooh, beverage goblin. Yes, caffeine and hydration trifecta. How about you? What are you drinking? I've got a lemon honey ginger tea and some water. Oh, that sounds really nice. Nice and revivifying. Yeah, just holding me together. (laughs) Aw. I'm sorry you're not feeling 110% as you should be. You deserve to feel great all of the time. Thank you. I think so as well. It's really quite rude. But what can we do? Um, What sparked joy for you this week? I actually had a really great weekend. Um, today's Sunday. I had an unexpected opportunity to babysit my niece yesterday, which was really cool. She has not been super confident at like not being with her parents. So the fact that she didn't ask to go home once was like a win for me. Um, and then my kids had a sleepover with Nana and Granddad. And my husband and I went to a really fancy birthday party at Crown Casino, which isn't actually a casino yet. And then we got to go to the secret whiskey bar, which I will not say any more about because it is very much a secret. But it exists. I have been there. And it has an amazing bathroom. <laughs> so that, cool. That was kind of my whole thing. Yeah, it was great to just know that the kids were looked after and that we could stay out late. And um, I... I was a little bit cheeky because I thought, I don't want to drive home really late. So we chose a car park that closed at midnight. So at like 11.50, we were like running from the secret whiskey bar to the car park. We're like, we have to get there. And we got there with two minutes to spare. So. Oh, well done. <laughs> yeah, but it was great. Yeah. That was late for you, though. <laughs> yeah, for real. Really thought I would turn into a pumpkin. So I'm glad <laughs> I did not. <laughs> um, what sparked joy for you this week? I had a friend over on Thursday and we just ordered pizza and watched a movie and it was just real cozy and nice. I love those moments where it feels like kind of you're reliving your teenage life. You know, a friend comes over yes. and you order pizza or you just spend a day running around a mall or things like that. It's just like such lovely little moments mm-hmm. where you just get to hang out with your friends. So that was really lovely and I enjoyed it immensely. I love that. I love I love watching TV with people. It's so it's not something we talk about, but like when you get to watch with people and like chat about it as it's happening, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah, communal watching. Exactly. Oh, we have a disembodied hand. Probably taking his shoes off. He's been running errands. Hi. (laughs) Jen says hi. My favorite disembodied hand. Okay. Interruption finished. Cool. Well, okay. So this week we're reading chapters 11 to 16 through the theme of faith. Do you have a story on the theme for us? I do. I was thinking a lot about faith and I was thinking about like how I would define faith. And so I went to my favorite place, Etymology Online, (laughs) and looked it up. And it's like a lot of the definitions go right back to like fidelity and truthfulness and steadfastness and like confidence like I have faith in this and I guess because I grew up in a fairly evangelical Christian environment I think of faith as like hand in hand with the religion that I was Mm. raised with but I don't know that I would say that I have 
a religious affiliation now. Like, I guess I follow the Christian tradition, but I don't know that I have that, like, I belong to any particular um, part of Christianity. I feel more like I have a faith and that's okay. But then I was thinking about, like, what is something, what, what if I turn that into a value? And I think that the defining faith of mine is the belief that everything will turn out okay. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about that. Because one of the tenets of faith, I think, is that you don't actually have proof of it. It's not faith if you know for sure what the outcome will be. Mm. So if I pick up a pen and drop it, let it go, it's going to drop on the floor. I don't have to have faith in gravity because gravity just works. Gravity is. Gravity exists. Like, it's not going to turn off at any moment. I don't need to have faith in it, right? But there's, like, the faith that everything will turn out okay. That actually, I don't know for sure that it will. I have never had any guarantee that everything will turn out okay, but I persist in believing that. I really, in my core, think that things are going to work out. They're going to work themselves out in the end. It might not be what I expected or hoped for, but I think it will work out. And, and I really tried to think, is there something I really don't believe will work out? Is there something I'm really worried about? But like, I actually think that we're all going to be okay in the end. And part of this maybe is just because I'm terminally optimistic, but maybe also part of it is that I don't know, in fact, how to not go on. So I can't picture myself stopping for anything. I can, I can think about the things that would be like the worst things to happen. And I can imagine the grief that I would feel and the like horribleness I would go through. But I, I keep thinking of it like I will get through it. And once you're through it, you might be transformed and it might be horrible, but you will get through it. I just think there's something about that that is really core to me. And I guess if I had to choose, like, what is my faith? I think my faith is that everything is going to turn out okay. Mm. I don't know that it's very inspiring. It's probably not even very accurate. But I spent a lot of time trying to tease out what my, like, core beliefs are. And that really is one of them. And it's kind of nice to have faith in something as amorphous as that, right? I don't have to have the answers because I think it will turn out okay. And sometimes it turns out okay because I get to the other end of something and I've convinced myself that that is actually what I wanted the whole time. Mm. And that works too. Um, it's a bit of want what you have, not, you know, wanting something you can't have. But I don't know. I just really do believe that it's going to be okay. Yeah. And things will work themselves out. So that is my, my defining faith. I like that. I think you're right, though, yeah, because it's when you don't know for sure what the solution is going to be or what the outcome is going to be mm. or even where you're going. That is when faith comes into play, because if you knew, then it's not faith. Yeah. If you had a definitive answer. Yeah. And that's why I find being part of a religious tradition so challenging, because at least in the Christian religious traditions that I've belonged to or been adjacent to in my life, it's very like black and white. Definite. Like this is what you do this is how you believe this is who you need to be and and some of that I just find very affronting because like the world is so nuanced and people are so different and like on the bigger questions why would God make people who are so different if we were only meant to be two ways or whatever mm. like I just can't square that circle so I have to have faith that whatever our interpretations are they're not correct and that we could, we just have to do the best we can which actually works really well with what i believe sort of intrinsically that we're all gonna be okay i mean it will be hard yeah. but we will survive no proof awesome. of that but just the endearing belief positive vibes <laughs> positive vibes only you're resident optimist here to make everybody annoyed when things are terrible it's my job <laughs> someone's got to do it it's my calling it's my vocation i love it 
someone does have to do it. You can't we can't all just be pessimists all of the time because then we just bring each other down. So we do need one ray of sunshine, and that can be you. <laughs> I'm happy to be it, and you can be the nihilist, the fun kind. Yes, the fun kind. <laughs> Everything is going to be terrible all of the time, isn't it? Great, lol. Anyway, but what fun <laughs> we'll have talking about it. Yeah. Well, nevertheless, like we will chapter? persist. Oh yes. Yes. No, sorry, go on. Would you like to do the chapter summaries? Yes, yeah, sure thing. So in this section, the boys tell the women of 300 Foxway about Green Mantle. The Green Man warns them off revenge. Ronan is justifiably not okay with this morning. Gansey chats with Adam, who hides the letter about his father's court date. Orla mm. tries to get Blue to be realistic, but Orla's neither kind nor helpful, so she jumps on the chance to leave when Gansey asks her to come help him and Mallory find a cave. They meet Jesse Ditley, who is both very hospitable and very unwilling to let them explore said cave. Cave's water keeps trying to get hold of Adam to solve a problem. Adam and Ronan fight about the future that Adam wants and Ronan despises. And Mr. Grey learns that it was Niall Lynch himself who told Golden Greenmantle about the Grey Warren. So, I found Faith quite challenging as a section mm. topic thing. Yeah, there were definitely a few sections that I felt like I was really reaching to find it, for sure. Mm. I think the most obvious is just this Faith in Glendower. You know, mm. like, Gansey just has this faith that he will find this king and this king is going to give him a, a wish and now he's decided he's going to use that wish to ask Noah if Noah can be alive again. I love that. And I love that Noah tells him that he doesn't know if he could be alive again. He's like, I don't know if I know how to do that, which is really beautiful and vulnerable. And and I love that he's so gracious about it. Like, I feel like we know, as we've read the whole series, we know that Noah knows that that's not possible and that that's not what's going to happen because he is experiencing time as a circle and he already knows what is and what isn't happening. Um, but Gansey doesn't know that. And I don't know if Gansey ever does really know that. But Noah still doesn't tell him like, no, this is not my fate. He just says, I think that's a really lovely idea, which is kind of, it's beautiful. It's, it's another reflection of how everybody has, has to protect Gansey's faith in the world being a fundamentally good place. Hmm. So I think that yeah. was something I saw a lot was that, um, especially with Adam realizing he didn't actually want Gansey to understand the world as this ugly, horrible thing, but to have continue to have faith and to continue to be optimistic. He, he thought he wanted Gansey to be aware of the cruelty of the world, but then he was like, wait, actually, I don't think I want this. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. I saw faith in that, that he had understood, he hadn't understood his friend until his friends started to see the ugliness of the world and then he went, oh, this is really valuable that he should keep this. It also turns Gansey into a figure of faith almost in a way that the mm-hmm. the boys and even Blue, you know, they see him as this leader figure and if mm. he loses his optimism, his view of the world, then that would shatter all of theirs. So he becomes this yeah. this faith leader of their faith, of what they want and what they want to believe in. Yeah, there's a lot of interconnectedness and how that sort of responds to the faith that they have in each other and the faith that they have in their group dynamics I thought was Mm. really interesting so um you know after Blue's fight with Orla and she's talking about Orla wasn't wrong of course but what she didn't realize about Blue and her boys is that was that they were all in love with one another she was no less obsessed with them than they were with her or one another analyzing every conversation and gesture drawing out every joke into a longer and longer running gag spending each moment either with one another or thinking about 
when the next they would be with one another like that she doesn't have to have it spelled out for her that that's how the group works she just knows that's how the group works and she knows she she has this faith she doesn't actually know no but she has this faith that when they're not all together they all want to be together and they're all thinking about each other all of the time mm. and it's it's like i think she doesn't have proof of it necessarily but she does believe it and that to me was just an incredible show of faith and like when you know people you you can have faith that you will be able to correctly predict and assess what they're doing yeah and then you've got adam and the when he's at work right and he's thinking about that they go Mm. and look for the cave without him and then he's like oh he'll be jealous of ronan or jealous of blue or whatever configuration that happened and so he just doesn't want to think about it because he doesn't want to yeah doesn't want to fight he's just like really hanging on to the fact that he's not fighting with Genzi and why was he fighting with Genzi anyway and it's just yeah it's a whole thing I love that he is sort of making a mantra it's almost like a prayer isn't it that he's he's going I will not fight we will not fight with like don't start fights with Blue don't start fights with Genzi and then he has this (laughs) and he has this thing where he's like and trying not to fight with Ronan is impossible because as long as Ronan is breathing then Ronan is fighting so that's a (laughs) write-off it's just like oh my goodness Wait till you guys find out the thing that's better to do than fighting. I do love them, though, because it's this way that he feels like he has to really hold back and really watch himself around other people. But with Ronan, he doesn't feel like he needs to. And Ronan as well with Adam, they're like their purest selves with each other in a lot of ways. Like even when Gansy turns up at Adam's flat room, whatever, and he's like, oh, first he was surprised that it was Gansy and not Ronan. And secondly, Gansy really didn't fit there, not the way that Ronan did, because Ronan sort of just blends into adam's life so easily he doesn't and also ronan's there all the time right that's the implication is that he's there all the time like adam's used to people knocking on the door and that people being ronan yeah um i I agree with the way that you describe their relationship is like their truest with each other i think that speaks to their deeper connection because one of the things that i have learned as both a kid and a parent is that you can be a jerk to your parents and your kids can be jerks to you but it's not a sign of disrespect or um, or even like actual dislike it's because you know that you're so loved you can take it for granted like you can mm. take their love and care for you on faith and you can be absolutely spitting chips and say horrible things and you know that your parents are still going to love you and you know that your kids are still going to love you and forgive you if you do something outrageous like taking away their devices right mm. um we get to take family on faith and i think that for ronan and adam we get to see that they're taking each other's like they can be a bit nasty with each other because they know that they'll keep circling around each other and coming back to each other whereas adam and gansy are still tentative and adam and blue are still tentative they're not quite in that unshakable place that um adam and ronan are and i love that connection you've made to family and how you know you trust your family to love you regardless of how horrible you are to them and often that is not the case mm. full disclosure you know we know that lots of families are not like that you don't get that unconditional love but that's been our experience of family with yeah. our, you with your kids and me with my parents right yeah and sure. i think if you look at ronan and his relationship with declan and matthew as well they certainly have yeah. that going the way they fight all the time but they're always in each other's corner really they're still the lynch brothers yeah yeah and then adam makes that comment about he wants to ask what ronan's done been doing at the barns but the barns is family and family is private and then later on ronan will take adam to the barns and show him what he's done and that adam is his family too yeah i know i know i loved that i saw that and i was like (gasps) it's coming it's coming um i had an interesting 
an interesting observation. Page 133, Mallory is not faithful to the idea of Glendower being alive. He doesn't think he's asleep. And he actually tells Gansey this. And I don't know how many times I've read this stupid book. And it is my favorite of the series. But I never picked up that he was like, dude, I think he's dead. Um, but on mm. page 133, he says, To take a crooked path was to unseat a soul and create a haunting or worse. So when they traveled in a straight line with Glendower, it was because he was to be handled like the dead. I think he, he he's trying to let Gansey know that like his faith might not be justified or that he might need to adjust himself his expectations a little what do you mm. think yeah that's interesting he also goes at, he's also at pains to say you know how did they cross in a straight line across the sea like he's quite skeptical mm. in that moment like he's so in on the journey and he's so in like he's really bought into this quest but he's also probably more realistic than Gansey necessarily is yeah yeah interesting it is really interesting, and I, I think it's fascinating to think about the actual mechanics of it. And I love that Mallory is kind of introducing us to this other side of it, because, like, for me, I am definitely the geek of, like, well, how does it work? Where Like, I want to see, I want to open the watch and get all of the, I want to see the cogs and the springs and the dials. Like, that's my... That's what I like. I like knowing how things work. And I want to know this with, with Glendower, too. And I think Gansey wants the romance, but Mallory is more like, but the function. How does the function yeah. work? Whereas Gansey is operating on faith. Because a lot of faith mm -hmm. is like actually not looking too closely and not examining things too closely. Which is why I think it was it last week where I was talking about the fact that for magic to work, you have to believe in magic. Otherwise, you yeah. can't see it. Like with Noah, you know, Blue says some people see him, some people don't. So I love the idea that you have to have faith for the magic to work. And if you don't believe, then it doesn't exist. Which yeah. is like the self-fulfilling kind of prophecy because you're like, well, magic isn't real because I don't believe in it and I don't see it. But you can't see it if you don't believe in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's like in um, the Scholomancy how you have to look away when people are doing magic. Otherwise, like if someone else is watching it, it often the suspension of disbelief isn't there. Like sometimes you can't even look at what you're doing yourself because you can't look at it being magic. Mm. Which I think is such an interesting idea. Love the idea of magic being something that you're blind to but capable of doing. Hmm. Um, also, the way that the women of Fox Way also operate on this faith and trust in each other, right? Like, it's very much oh, a, yeah. like a faithful environment of people being faithful to each other, being faithful mm. to their craft, but the connection that it makes between them as well and how that connection yeah. can sometimes alienate people. Like, Blue felt quite alienated in that environment, even though they need her to amplify a lot of the time. She still felt like, what about my something bigger, my something else, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah absolutely um also when blue and orla are arguing blue points out that like she has faith that the love that she has is worth the loss that she might experience mm. and she's this is her case for having this sort of all-encompassing friendship this obsessive type of friendship where you know she she spits back at orla like Oh, maybe I should have just had fallback parents to yeah. love. Just put a little bit of my love into everybody. So if one goes missing, it doesn't hurt as much. Or maybe I should just build a tower around my heart. Like, she's really angry about this idea that you would ever contain yourself, that you would ever hold yourself back. But she's also not willing to, like, take a chance on people who don't prove themselves immediately. It's a very interesting tension between, like, the desire for connection that is complete and all-encompassing and the faith that it will be worth it. But also not, like, putting your faith in people that you don't already have some proof of them being worthy. I don't know. It's interesting, I think, because she, 
you know, in the, the previous section, she had that little wobble about the fact that she wasn't going to go to college, right? She was, she yeah. wanted this future that she couldn't have. She does yeah. feel trapped in a lot of ways. And so I think Orla do, having this conversation with her really hits on a point that she's already been thinking about. It is a sore point for her. And so she has this real emotional reaction, which is fair enough because like, yeah, she is in pain because her mum left her and there's no way to mitigate yeah. that. She can't put her love in multiple mothers, you know? And but she has do... multiple parents. Like, that's the whole point of 300 yeah. fucks way. But she still has Mora, and Mora is still her parent. Like, that is still her person. Yeah. And no amount of people that you love are enough to mitigate the loss of a person that you love. You're still going to always feel the loss. And that's okay. I love how connected Orla is to the school gossip system yet. She's like, yep. <laughs> she's got younger siblings reporting into her and every. <sighs> <laughs> it cracks me up because I feel like Orla could really use her power for good, but she is true chaotic, right? Like she's just she doesn't care. She's I think she's trying to be helpful to Blue, but also she isn't recognizing Blue for who she is. She thinks that Blue should resign herself to being a part of that community forever. And even though Blue loves Henrietta, it's not for her to stay there. And like this this is part of the realization of this book and part of the realization of the next book for Blue that it's not for her to stay there, but Man, Orla is not being helpful in this way. She's too close to it. Mm. She's still too young. I mean, if it were Kala and Persephone and Mora telling Blue this, I think she would hear it better. But Orla's not helpful. Yeah, there was an interesting line in that section that you've just reminded me of. Um, stand by, Kala. Where is it? Is it in page 103 somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she says on page 105, you'll remember this conversation later and say sorry to me, Ola told Blue. You forget who you are. And it has this real sense of, like, know your place, firstly. Like, this yeah. is who you are. You're thinking above your station. You're hanging out with these Raven boys. They're giving you ideas and airs and graces, mm. you know, that sort of thing. Which seems to also often come, like, when people call you out like that, it's often because they feel like your behavior is putting reflecting something back about them like you're judging them because yeah. you're behaving in this way and this is her life and yeah. why is her life not good enough for you you know yep and it's such an interesting position to take i love that you've called that to to my attention because i feel like i just thought of that as orla being hurtful but maybe it's orla being defensive of blue's ambition to be elsewhere yeah and i think it reflects back in that argument that Ronan and Adam have because on page 130 Ronan uh, Adam says to Ronan be a loser if you want to but don't make me part of it to make yourself feel better which I think mm. is again that kind of idea that your behavior you're making me feel about bad about the way that I am acting because you don't yeah. want it and therefore you're making a value judgment about me as a person and I'm not having it and like I don't want you to think I'm I don't want you to think differently or badly about me. I don't want you to think that I'm a loser because I'm behaving in this way. It's actually you that's wrong. You know, I feel like there's a similarity in those two interactions. There really is, yeah. And I also like that in that interaction with, with Adam Ronan is like, Agumbi isn't important for people like us. Like he doesn't say, Adam, Agumbi isn't important for me. He says it's not important for people like us. He's talking about people who live and traffic with magic and don't need to work in the world as the they way are other people in do. order yeah. to yeah and adam is like but i do live in the world i can't live in just and this is i think the tension within adam right he can't live in just being a magical person in the ley line like as the eyes and the ears of the ley line and he can't live in just the world because there's no hope for it in him he has to always thread that needle 
I think Adam is just really, he's a rigid person. He's very incapable of pivoting and making adjustments to this plan that he clung to for so long as his ticket out of here. And he doesn't recognize that his circumstances has changed. He's just Mm -hmm. plodding on with the plan because he's too tired, to be fair, to be like contemplating his existence. But yeah. 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 I have a whole section called I am Adam and Adam is me where I was just like, yep, 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 (laughs) yep. That's for later on in my tangential but Adam's inflexibility is like he has this 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 plan and he has I think he really has faith in his plan and he's adhering to it because he believes it's going to work out and it will get him where he wants to be even though he hates the place that everyone else who was there he hates the people that almost everyone else who was there is he believes he has to get there as if he won't hate himself when he gets there yeah yeah because the problem is within you yeah, he hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah. And he thinks, like, yeah. He just thinks there's an incompatibility between the way he views his life and the way his friends view their lives. But, yeah, he just hasn't done that work yet. Poor boy. If he would let Gamzee, like, pay his tuition, Gamzee would. It would, like, it wouldn't even be a blip. It, look, it would not matter at all to Gamzee, and he would never bring it up again. And he would forget about it as soon as it would. But Adam would never be able to. He would never be able to take that generosity on faith. He's not at that point yet. Maybe he never will be. But he's got to learn that himself. But I really just want to take it by the shoulders and be like, you will be okay if you accept help. This is me shaking him. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) But I do love that he's warming up to Gansey and realizing that Gansey is not in fact a boy king but is a human who has anxiety and fears and is worried and is fallible yeah it's really beautiful he's like becoming more connected by recognizing the vulnerabilities not as weaknesses but as just like vulnerabilities I do like the way that reality about life is seeping in more into this environment and I think it is like reflective of how as a teen as you get older you do start to realize more home truths about the world that isn't rosy and easy. Yeah. And things aren't going to work out the way that you think you did. Even with Gansey recognizing that he wasn't, he didn't think violence was catching, but it was like affecting all of his friends. And then he makes that comment about Kavinsky, right? And he's just so horrified by himself. And Adam says he didn't care that Kavinsky was dead, but he he liked that Gansey cared. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really beautiful that he even noticed that because like Gansey said it and then he immediately caught himself before anyone else would be like it's just a fact right like who knows what Ronan's off doing he said he's at the barns but you know probably that's true where else could he be Kavinsky's dead and then he's like oh my gosh I can't believe I just said that so casually without being Mm. aware of the gravity of it but it's like but it's true it is true that Kavinsky is dead it's not untrue it's not callous to say it but he feels like yeah. it is so there's something really beautiful about holding on to the idea that you need to be respectful and remember these losses even if they don't actually hurt you i guess if that makes sense yeah yeah that's where i feel like gansy's like i've got to hold on to that i've got to keep caring bless him yeah he's got a real i think a different interpretation of what it is to be a human or good human being, right? He's like, this is something that makes us intrinsically good people. It's the fact that we care. 
Yeah. But then it's such a contrast to in the last book when he said to Rona, the difference between us and Kavinsky is that we matter, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's true. But, like, I don't think that he thinks Kavinsky should be dead. I just think he doesn't think Kavinsky matters to him. But it's not to say he wouldn't matter to someone else. He just isn't. Kind of like Blue being just unimpressed with TJ's drawing genitalia on her unicorn folder like she just isn't interested in that she's like whatever i just don't care and i love that all it's like he asked you out and blue's like is that what that was <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to talk about faith in the ley line in a way because i love this contrast between jesse ditley and him being the cave is cursed and then mallory yeah. you know, says that it's on a ley line this is page 111 apparitions and lightning storms black beasts and time slipping to us just the ley line to everyone else a curse gansey finished i think this is often the way with faith that some people will, will view something as a curse dark magic or, or a miracle a miracle yeah and it's the only difference between the two things is faith it's what you believe mm. it's the meaning you make of it which is yeah. what faith is in a lot of ways Mm, meaning making i mean that's what we do every week here we make meaning out of what we read and we process it together and a faithfulness to this practice which i really love but yeah i i love that and i also love that jesse ditley himself is just such an enormous and persuasive person because he is so enormous he speaks in all caps because his voice is just so loud he inspires faith whether you want it to be inspired or not (laughs) Blue is like, oh, this cave looks a bit dicey. And he goes, the curse doesn't take you till it's ready. It only affects Ditley's. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll poke my head in further. Yeah. Um, and I also want to point out that Mallory had faith that Giant's grave did have a cave. And he was very smug, he was very smug about it. <laughs> Look Just at that like cave, Blue. Gansey. Mallory said, I wonder who said there was a cave here. Leave the smugness to Jane, Gansey told him. Yeah, because of course, Blue has also been smug about just ask people if you want to find out something. Oh, yeah. That was a great moment of her, like, dichotomous thinking. There are two kinds of people in this part of Virginia. Cups of sugar sharing between neighbors or the racist drunks. And school had taught her that they were rarely born in the same litter. And I'm like, I love that imagery, for one. But two, that is so not true. And I can tell you that they are born in the same litter. And in fact, you cannot have perfectly good people anywhere. Some of the most generous and wonderful people might be horrifically racist and not even realize it Mm. like it just is not true so yet another example of blue being very like this is a very black and white thing that is actually super nuanced in real life i love that as a moment of faith as well because she said i didn't believe in the latter until she saw it herself basically she didn't believe that the the racist kind were around because she was that was not the environment that she grew up in yeah of course and like honestly same i was very shocked when i found out some of the views that members of my family had i just hadn't Like, it's kind of a weird thing where you grow up in an area that has so little diverse representation. You don't get to see how people treat different people. Mm. So unless you grow up seeing them routinely and systemically mistreat people who are minorities, you don't actually see that that's the belief they hold because you don't get the example of it shown to you. So it was very shocking for me when I was a teenager. I was like, you think what now? Oh, like it totally blew my mind because I'd never had to see it and I think Blue's in a similar place she just never had to experience it because it just wasn't ever shown to her Mm. yeah a real parallel to Gansey being like but the world is so ugly everything's becoming so ugly and Adam's like no I I was born into this ugliness it's always been this way um can we talk about Piper Greenmantle and her faith that she's not going to be killed by the gray man even though he's standing there holding a gun to her head yeah I think the gray man is great for faith too because people are like they have such faith in his abilities and he has such faith in his abilities and he's just so he's got his everything's together right you know everything about him suggests that he's got life sorted and then yeah Yeah. but then 
Green Man was like, you're not going to kill her. <laughs> yeah. I, but and I love stop. that she's just like, give me some cheese. I want yeah. cheese. And she's mad because she missed yoga. And she's not even mad at the Grey Man. She's mad at Green Mantle for ruining her vacation. Because she knows he's to blame. Like, she says to him, I'm tired of your hobbies, which is fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't love that. I would not be nearly as chill about it as she was. She was just standing there looking annoyed. And I would have been, like, wetting myself in fear at that point. <laughs> well, I guess it's not the first time this has happened to her. Who's going to go out on a limb. Probably not. When we start to understand who her, her parentage, we can understand a little bit more about her, which I think is really interesting. I love that we realize that Colin Greenmantle is the amateur and she's legacy in the next book. Yeah. And speaking of Greenmantle as well, he says in that section, you know, he talks about Niall and how Niall was the one who told him mm. about the Grey Warren. And he says he thought he was invincible. You know, he calls him a braggart. And I'm like, well, that's kind of, you're describing yourself. You think you're invincible yeah. too. So... This is true. And he, like, even the Grey Man has this faith that if something happens to Green Mantle, that it will destroy everybody who takes him down. Like, he is the spider in the web, and if you take the spider out of the web, it all comes crashing down. It's such an interesting fear that he's cultivated. This this faith that he will destroy everything that you touch, or that touches you, if you go for him, if you go after him. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I also like that Persephone's instruction gives Adam the tools that he can have faith that the intent behind Capeswater's very creepy messaging system is actually benign. It's not going to hurt him. It will be scary, but it won't hurt me, he says on page 125. And then he reminds himself, just because of tantrums Persephone had added doesn't make it more right than you. And he's able mm. to like pull back from the fear of the experience, which does sound super spooky, very spooky, um, to actually realize, like go deep enough to realize what Capeswater needs fixing. Yeah, and I love the use of tarot as well as as a, a tool of faith because it's used for meaning making, right? You're using it as mm. meaning for meaning making, which means you have faith in something. You have faith in yourself even just to use it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he already is like, I know about the three sleepers. What am I supposed to do? I get that. Sometimes you're given the message and you don't actually understand what you have to do. You have to have faith that you will get there in the end. But I love that he's able to remind himself. On page 126, he says, it always stopped as soon as Adam understood. It only ever wanted him to understand. I think that's... Adam's whole relationship with everybody. I think that's everybody's relationship with Adam. Hmm. I think that Gansey pushes him in some ways because he needs Adam to understand that like he is there for him and he will not abandon him or betray him. Yeah. And he maybe doesn't have faith that Adam believes that yet, so that's why he keeps pushing it away that Adam is like, stop, I don't like this. I don't know. I have some feelings about it, but they're very unformed. Keep checking in on them. Yeah. I think that was all I had. Yep, me too. I have a few more tangential. I love the line on page 132 where Gansey is rebuilding the model of Henry and only says that it was distinctly less satisfying to restore something than it had been to grow it. And isn't that a mood? Yes. Yes. It's so easy to start something to grow something, but to keep tending to it is so annoying. <laughs> And this is why middle-aged lit professors have affairs with their students. This is why. <laughs> this is the whole thing. I like. I was like, this is such a great thing to point out to the people. Because we all do like the new and shiny experience or feeling. But I love that Gansey is sitting there fixing something that's broken. He didn't break it, but he's still sitting there fixing it. He's not making it again new. He's repairing it. And I love that. And I feel like that is just like peak Gansey dad behavior. Mm. I'm here for it. 
Um, I do think that uh, he needs to fix his car. So on <laughs> page 110, when Blue is at Jesse Ditley's house, and he's like, bring your friends in. Out of the rain. Uh, she says, the Camaro was theoretically already out of the rain. Well, perhaps not Gansey's left shoulder, but Blue didn't argue the point. She gestured for the others to join her. And then on the next page, the Camaro had an exhaust leak, which had a dehydrating effect on its occupants. Gansey, fix your car. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that poor dog is probably so high. I love that. Gansey says, you know, Wales is too small for a secret like that. And then Mallory calls him out on it. He's like, is it? Because that's such an American thing to say. Being like, oh, your country's too small. Like, just because yours is unnaturally large. Yeah, I will say, though, I kind of get where Gansey's coming from. There probably isn't any unwalked over or unexplored area. That's kind of the vibe I get. I just don't think. I agree with with old Mallory, who says, you know, tell me there are not places in those mountains that would have hit him. I'm like, yeah. And things are lost to time all the time. All the time. Absolutely. Because I grew up on the west coast of the U.S. and I grew up in southern Oregon, like, I feel the bigness of the woods in a way that, like, is bone deep for me. And I don't feel the bigness of many places. Like, in the U.K., it felt very... When people talk about being on an isolated farm and they're, like, 10 miles from another house, I'm like, only 10? That's nothing. <laughs> like, that's not... I You could walk there. You're not isolated. But, like, there really are places that are, like hundreds and hundreds of miles away and like living in australia as well like there's just such a massive amount of space here but why the assumption that secrecy needs space i don't know i guess when you have to cover more ground to find something i just think people lose things all the time didn't they discover richard the third under a parking lot yeah you know so it is weird i think that was reading an article about how they there's a an archaeologist who uses satellite imagery and they found petra and we're able to find a lot more of Petra using the satellite imagery and doing like some level adjusting. Mm. And that's like her entire field. I can't remember her name, but if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But I thought it was really fascinating that we're now looking all the way up from satellites to see what we can see about, especially archaeology, right? And I know that there are some places in the UK, especially where they're like, there's a whole Roman fort here. And they only found it because like, there was a terrible drought and the fields revealed it after, you know, hundreds of years of people plowing over it for yeah or like flooding or any yeah. kind of what like in rome you know there are cities upon built upon cities built upon cities it just goes cities all the way down you know yeah. <laughs> incredible there's so much more that we don't know but yeah i think i get why gansey thinks that i don't necessarily agree but i do feel that like the bigness of the u.s is a factor in why he thinks that it is just a huge place yes i'm calling it american bias <laughs> There has to be a little bit of Australian bias, though, too, because I feel the same about here, that it's just so big that everywhere else is tiny. Yeah, but I just don't see why that matters to the relevancy of being able to bury a king. This is true. I mean, he could be anywhere. Under a parking lot. Just saying. Where kings go. Um, I think something that I picked out that really hurt me was Adam, after the terrible night horror that Ronan brings with him. And is like, shoo, you know, like, like it's no big deal. <laughs> and Adam is like crouched on the floor. Uh, Adam wrapped his arms over the back of his neck, curly up to a ball in the concrete, waiting to feel like he wasn't going to die. Like he's genuinely panicking right now. And Ronan is just like, mm, it's fine. You weren't going to be hurt. But that's like totally ignoring Adam's actual awful fear. I would have picked a fight with him too. I hate being scared like that. I hate being scared. I don't like people sneaking up on me. It's one of my like instant rage things. And oh, it it yeah. made me so crazy. So I'm with Adam on that, that I would have absolutely been furious and very cutting as well. 
It also comes off the back of him already being slightly scared by Cave's water, right? And like he yeah. talks him down, himself down from that fear and he thinks he's out of it and then suddenly there's still this night, <laughs> the horror. night horror. And not even like a fun thing that Rona dreamed up, but like literally the terrifying <laughs> dragon killing dream. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, did you have an in-depth marginalia? I did have an in-depth marginalia. So mine is from page 100, which is the scene where Gansey is in Adam's flat and Gansey's just told him that like they've spent the evening reading, doing homework, whatever, just being together, yeah. soothing Gansey's anxiety. Mm. And then Gansey's just told Adam that if he finds Glendower, he will ask for Noah's life. Mm. And then Adam has this moment where he says he merely looked at Gansey. Something was different about him. He changed while Adam's back had been turned. I mm. love this. I think in a way it, it, it's faith because there's this idea that we will... We have faith in our friends regardless of whether they change or not. We all sort of believe in, a, in our heart of hearts that we are going to stay friends with people. That's the basis of friendship, right? Like you go into it thinking that it is mm. a shared experience that will probably be long lasting. Yeah. Um, it's also connection because you feel connected to your friends and stuff. But at the end of the day, we are all always changing yeah. as people. We are growing, especially at this age where they are. They're just teenagers, right? And so you do change. And I think... It's something I certainly feel very acutely because I so often don't see my friends for long periods of time. And yeah. I don't really, a lot of my friends I only talk to every now and then, like messages or whatever. And then sometimes yeah. when you meet up with people, you're like, wow, okay, you've had a whole life in the time that I've seen you last, you know? Yeah. And you really notice these changes in your friends. And I think this is such a interesting experience for Adam to have so soon. Because it's yeah. only been like, you know, he's gone through immense amounts of change. And we know that Gansey feels this way about Adam as well. He's always looking mm. at him and catching him, staring off and thinking how different Adam is. And he's gone through this with Ronan and seen Ronan change, right? And now Adam's yeah. having that experience with Gansey. And I think how I want to use it going forward is just like, be generous with your friends because life affects us all in different ways. And people cannot stay the same you shouldn't expect them to stay the same and you shouldn't expect your friends to always have the same reactions or behave in the same ways because we're always growing yeah. and changing and so have faith in that they're doing that what they need to mm. do and that that's happening in good faith and that you'll just grow together because it is a process i love that and there's i think that's really good that you pointed that out there's also that moment where gansey is standing in his room and he's just standing there and he's like i'm unable to change i'm just as much a part of the room as like the books or the mm, telescope mm. like he's really he feels really stuck so he's contrasting himself against his friends who he feels like they've changed so much but then adam is seeing him and he's like he's just changed from one moment to the next yeah which is really interesting thank you for that i love that yeah um what was your in-depth marginalia oh mine's also from page 100 and it's also ah. from that conversation i love it when gansey and adam are nice to each other and i love when they're being vulnerable with each other and i love that adam is sort of taking on this role of the one to comfort gansey which is really beautiful so the context for this is that right after he gansey was like oh gosh i can't believe i just glossed over the fact that kavinsky was dead and adam's like mm, who cares and gansey sort of says oh you know everything is getting so ugly on page 100, everything had begun ugly for Adam, but he knew what Gansey meant. His noble and optimistic friend was slowly opening his eyes and seeing the world for what it was. And it was filthy and violent and profane and unfair. Adam had always thought that this was what he wanted for Gansey to know, but now he wasn't sure. Gansey wasn't like anyone else, and suddenly Adam wasn't sure he really wanted him to be. I think this is really interesting in terms of faith, because Adam 
has had this faith that if Gansey could just see the world for how it is, he wouldn't be so optimistic or cheerful about it. But once Gansey has connected these dots, Adam is grieving this loss of innocence that his friend has. And he's thinking of what a joy it is that Gansey is always like hopeful and he doesn't want him to change. He doesn't actually want Gansey to be connected with the ugliness of life. He actually depends on his friends like faith and wonder and beauty and goodness. And so it's a nice moment of self-awareness for Adam. Mm. Uh, as for what it reminds us of in other texts, I know that we joke that Gansey is Tintin, but I think he's actually a lot like Sarah Crew from The Little Princess. Now, that was one of my favorite books as a child, and it is uh, definitely super problematic and definitely has a lot of colonialist nonsense in there. But I think that the character of Sarah Crew was really great because even though she went from being like very wealthy and having a lot, she ended up getting knocked down to basically being like a slave in this boarding school where she had once been like a parlor boarder, which is a big deal. And she never lost her temper or treated the matron of the school who was horrific to her. She never was unkind or cruel. And when she got, she found a bit of money in the gutter at one point. And this is very like Victorian children are so pure and innocent. But she, she picked up this money, went in to buy some buns. And the woman gave her a couple of extra buns. And she went outside and she put five of the six buns in front of a starving little girl that was even hungrier and colder than she was. And she was standing there holding this little bun and going, I get to go and sleep somewhere warm. She's going to sleep on the street. And she kept handing bun after bun after bun. And then she had to like make herself run away. And she was so hungry. And so I was thinking of Gansey as this sort of like Sarah Crew figure who he's like constantly trying to do the most good that he can possibly do in every situation, even when it's really hard. And I really love that. So going forward, I know it's definitely hard to keep the faith in goodness or to grow faith in goodness when you've begun with only ugliness, but I think it's worth doing. Um, it reminds me a bit of the bit in the Anthropocene Review when John Green talks about wanting to be vulnerable. Uh, he wants to be able to show his soft belly to the world like his puppy used to do after zoomies. Um, mm -hmm. But I do know, I want to acknowledge that it is hard to be generous when you're scared or when you're hurt. Um, and sometimes you need a path to figure that out. And sometimes that path is a person. So maybe it's about wishing better for ourselves instead of wishing for others to have it worse. Like maybe we find the person who can see the beauty and wonder and goodness and we get ourselves out of the darkness that way. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because like this idea that, you know, Adam needs Gansey to see the wonder in the world because they also in that section talks about how ungrateful they'd come, how, you know, become how greedy yeah. they were for better magic. Right. Mm. Yeah. Ah, vulnerability. All comes Aww. back to being vulnerable. Yeah. The worst. But also would you, the best. Yeah. Who would you like to spotlight? Uh, I'm going to spotlight Adam because I am Adam and Adam is me. I hate being scared. <laughs> I get really mad when I get scared. Um, and I really felt him because I also get really miserable dry skin and I also have to resist the impulse to temporarily soothe myself in a way that makes it worse in the long term with like everything so uh, like he's trying not to lick the back of his hands because they're chapped already in the winter air and I'm just thinking like I do this all the time like I can't stand it when my body is not fine it, it's really hard but also in like emotional ways I do that I want to do something that will probably harm me in the long run but it will soothe me in the short term so Adam this week gets all of my love because it's hard to be like that and it's really hard to resist that urge and to stay strong and wait for the uh, the hand cream in the car I guess Aww. how about you who would you like to spotlight I'm actually going to spotlight the grey man Ooh. because I think he is just trying to live his life he's 
gotten out of this crime life, life of crime. <laughs> he's found something to believe in. He has faith in Mora coming back. He has faith in these people. Aww. He has this newfound family, really, and this love for yeah. this, these boys as well. Because he's, I noticed this change when he said, he's the one who told me to kill Ronan's father. That is a pivot yeah. in how the way he used to talk about it. So he's foregrounding Ronan in that. And Gans yeah. is like, oh, I can't believe he just says it. But I suppose he was just the weapon and not the, you know, the whole thing. But yeah. I just think he had all these things. He was sort of coming out of it. He was starting a new life for himself. He loves it. Gre- Green Mantle even absor- observes that he looks, you know, healthy and good. But no, and it's like that epitome of the whole, just when I think that I'm out, they drag me back in. <laughs> Green Mantle's just dragging him back in and giving him this yeah. ultimatum of like, I need to make an example of you for no real reason than his own power games. Yeah, his, his own mind games. Pride. So yeah, his own twisted ego. So I just think that's horrible for the grey man to be in that. And yeah, so shout out to him. Big old shout out. And he was teaching Kella how to break arms. And no, he's such a, like, dependable person, and he deserves better. He inspires faith. Yeah. You believe that he's going to do the thing, because he's so competent, right? We love it. We love to see it. Big fan. Love a job well done. Always. Uh, do you have any homework for our listeners this week? Uh, the only homework I have is that there's a new Enter Shikari album out, if you are into that sort of music, which I know a lot of people are not. But it's called A Kiss for the, for the Whole World, and it's their first ever UK number one album. So shout Ooh. out to them. It's been a long time coming. Yay! Many, many years. Um, yeah, and it's quite good. I just listened to it in the gym, and it was great. So, nice. Yeah. How about you? I would like everyone to go and listen to Daughter's new album, Stereo Mind Game, which is excellent. Mm. I've had it going... All month. Yeah, I feel like everybody should listen to the new Daughter album. It is incredible. She's incredible. She's such an artist, an amazing artist. I just feel her heart on her sleeve in every song, and it is wonderful. Everybody should go listen. It's so good. So good. All right. Next week, we're going to be reading chapter 17 through 21 through the theme of duality. Duality. We love That's duality. Going to see a lot of blue, I'm sure, with her very black and white opinions of things. Which she shares with Adam. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. I really, really loved this. This was such a good chapter, and I'm so glad we get to hang out every week. Thank you. It's such a great book. I'm just really enjoying getting back into it and getting back into these delightful characters who we love so much. So, yeah, can't wait. All right. See you next week. See ya. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 